Good morning. This is Nancy Leffler. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. We always like to start our show with an introduction and a reminder of why we do it. In November of 2000, our 17-year-old daughter Leah died in a car accident. Meeting the grief of her death helped us to more fully understand the territory of grief. We each took our own path on that journey, and we have now arrived in a place where we can join together to help others to navigate their grief journeys. Leah's death provided a doorway to our transformation, one that we never expected. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping those we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. We invite you to join today's conversation and help us build community. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. You're listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan on Frogtown Radio, WFNU-FM 94.1. Our in-studio phone number is 651-313-5125 if you have a question for us or for our guests this morning. Good morning. This is Dan Leffler, and today's song, uh, we've selected a tune by Michael Franti called Brighter Days. And it is off his June uh, 2022 Follow Your Heart CD. Um, I'd like to dedicate this to our two friends, one who recently passed and one who is facing the loss of her husband, remembering that brighter days are made possible with the support of friends who are not afraid to have awkward conversations. Take a listen. Don't give up when your heart is weary. Don't give up when your eyes are teary. Don't give up when your voice is trembling. When your life needs mending. Don't give up when the hurt is near you. Don't give up when the world seems to be broken. I'm still hoping with my heart open. topic um that was an abrupt ending <laughs> however we we roll with it <laughs> today's topic is going to be the role of grief in a cancer diagnosis and we'll be diving deep into that uh, um, topic with uh, our guest susan smedley susan is a recovered burnout burned out social worker 
She learned the hard way, the connection between unprocessed emotions like grief and disease, when she received a shocking diagnosis of lung cancer at age 32. Over the past 26 years, she has dived deep into her healing and shares what she has learned about the mind-body connection with the larger cancer community and through her yoga studio, Resilient Soul Yoga. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. <laughs> it's so good to have you, have you here. And this is a really important topic. Um, and so let's, let's dive in. I'd like to start with um, asking you to share a part of your own story and what brought you to this moment. Sure. Well, as, as you mentioned, um, I was diagnosed with lung cancer when I was 32 and a brand new mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the outside, you can look and say, where did that come from? That's out of the blue. It's just bad luck. However, um, I had already started approaching my health um, as connected to the rest of my life um, in my mid-20s. So I was a social worker um, fresh out of college with my own trauma healing past that had not, my own trauma that hadn't, I hadn't started healing from. I barely let myself kind of know about it. And I just came guns blazing out of college Um, ready to save the world and stop rape. And as you can imagine, um, you know, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old, wearing a beeper, um, working in Chicago and responding to calls of sexual assault um, all times of the day and night. And my body literally started breaking down within just a couple of years. So that is what prompted me to start looking at healing, not just from a a Western medicine perspective, Mm -hmm. but to dive a little bit deeper because what I was being offered um, intuitively felt to me like we were missing the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you make a really great point about our bodies holding, holding on to that. And our bodies tend to hold, or they don't tend to, they do. They hold on to trauma long after we've processed it um, emotionally or mentally. And I, I know through my own journey that that is true. And yet it's not talked about. It's not. Um, it's not generally not 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 talked about or recognized or recognized. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Definitely. And you know, this was back in the '90s. So, or actually, yeah, it was right around. It was like the late '80s, and um, because I wasn't getting great answers from. Mm-hmm. Western medicine, I continued my search, and this was before the internet even, and Mm -hmm. was, you know, going to bookstores, and I found the work of a woman named Louise Hay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Yeah. Yes, I am. And she's, you know, like the grandmother of the mind-body connection movement, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I stumbled upon her work and started piecing together some of the symptoms that I was having at that time and, you know, symptoms like chronic fatigue, like um, depression and just a a total shutdown of my systems. Mm -hmm. Like I was sleeping all the time and um, I started to recognize that I needed some additional help and um, went to see a Chinese medicine doctor and started doing acupuncture and Chinese herbs. Mm. And, you know, that form of, of healing and responding to the body incorporates emotions, experiences, and beliefs. So to me, it felt right. And the questions that she was asking me was connected to what I had already lived through and hadn't yet processed. Yeah, yeah. you um, brought up a, a, a memory that, that I had. Uh, how many Sunday afternoons did I spend in bookstores looking at the self-help 
uh, section looking for the answer to whatever it was that was most pressing. Um, I, I, too, found Louise Hay that way, Carolyn Mace that way, and so, so many others. Yes. Um, so I, 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 I think that's something that before the Internet, that's where, that's where you found us, in the bookstores. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So what, I can't imagine being diagnosed with lung cancer at age 32 as a, as a new mother. Um, how far along in, in your seeking your um, healing journey were you at that point? It was um, about five years, five or six years Mm -hmm. after I had left the social work job that I had. And, you know, I physically moved out of the area so that I wouldn't constantly be reminded of, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you see the worst of humanity and it's connected to to places, you know, it's best to move away from that because it just keeps um, traumatizing you know? And so I physically moved and started um, my healing journey in earnest um, at that point. So it was like five, six years Mm -hmm. um, that I was actively um, being treated by this Chinese medicine doctor, um, as well as going, dealing with my own childhood um, sexual abuse and physical abuse that was starting to really become Um, an issue as it related to PTSD. So my body was releasing so much at that point. So when I was diagnosed with lung cancer, I mean, don't get me wrong, like literally when I was told, I went into physical shock. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally, they had to sedate me. And because I just could not process it. However, you know, when I was told, we can't let you leave the hospital, you're going to, um, you have a tumor in your lung that's bleeding. And if, mm. and if you leave, you'll literally drown. And like, how do you process that? You know, my daughter was right. 11 months old. Um, you know, we had done attachment parenting, like she was still nursing, like what? After a couple of days post-op, the, the wisdom of Louise Hay started filtering back in. And um, I felt in my core that the cancer was um, a continuation of sort of the trauma that I had been starting to heal and work with, Mm -hmm. but that that was sort of the genesis of the cancer. Mm -hmm. And that if I continued doing the work that I was doing, I was going to be okay. To me, it wasn't it wasn't this random thing. It made complete sense that it uh, lodged in my lung. And, you know, Louise Hay speaks of lungs as being, and they are, so related to taking in life fully, your life force. um, Mm -hmm. And that's where grief gets lodged and lost. So, It makes sense, right? Yeah. Yes, it does. It makes so much sense. Um, And, you know, listening to you speak, I can't can't imagine, you know, um, I I say I can't imagine, and yet we also had, we often talk about the the incidences that completely change your life in an instant. And and so many of us have have had those kinds of... um, of, of yeah of um experiences and and yet as i was listening to your talk i felt like this was there was a sense of inner knowing that that was i don't know if it was ignited at that point or it, it, you probably already um <clears throat> had established that inner knowing and intuition but it feels like at this point during your diagnosis and the and the days after that that inner knowing was ignited again maybe that's the best way to say it yeah yeah it surfaced yeah i I, and that's the same thing that uh, struck me once the awareness came in 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 post-op it uh was reinforced and uh talk about that uh because the um 
uh, generation of those, um, that knowingness, that awareness that things are going to be okay, or, and, or maybe not, maybe you, you didn't know that things were going to be okay at that point, but you, you at least had that realization that the work that you were doing was meant to, to be part of the healing journey. Yeah, I mean, definitely. At, at I had this this inner sense of peace about it that would surface and then sort of subside, depending on how much um, other information I was taking in. You know, mm-hmm. um, because you know, lung cancer is the number one cancer killer um, mm-hmm. of men and women around the world. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation as to why. So I wasn't given a great prognosis at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was was basically preparing myself um, that the best outcome would be that I would see my daughter start kindergarten. So that that was in the back of my mind. So that's in the headspace. Right. Mm -hmm. And in my in my gut, if you will, or my heart, there was also this sense of calm and, you know, continue to do your work and continue to, to heal because healing is not the same thing as absence of cancer or disease. You can still heal so much of your life because you are more than your disease, you're more than your tumor, you're more than your autoimmune disease, right? Mm-hmm. And healing is a full, whole body, whole mind, whole spirit um, endeavor, yeah. regardless of what happens to the physical body. Yeah, when I was first going through my grief journey right after Leah died, I kept having these these inner knowings that I don't I'm not doing grief the way other people do grief. And didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, but it was the only thing I could do. It was it was where I was being led. And it sounds like you had a similar experience where you, you weren't having the experience of, of healing from cancer in the same way that other people might. Yes, and I, I'm incredibly grateful for that, and I, and I'm incredibly grateful that I was led to a different way of viewing my body and my experiences, so that I did have a base already set before, like this this bomb exploded my life, mm-hmm. you know, through yeah. the form of of a cancer diagnosis. So that was that was really helpful and helped me process things um, in, you know, the weeks, months, and years since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the role that grief plays in a cancer diagnosis. What was your experience? um, Sure. As As I have processed things, I certainly wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, but you know, we're, we're now 26 years down the road. Right. And I've, I've been lucky and, um, incredibly grateful to get this extra time. And, you know, I look back and I see grief at that level for me was so related to, um, my childhood trauma and, you know, having a violent parent, really shuts down, at least for me, a sense of safety in the world. There must be something wrong with me being able to trust anyone else. So I just became very emotionally reliant on myself and, you know, was really, I I compartmentalized a lot of that sadness um, because there was no room for it. I have two older sisters and we all experienced, you know, the rage of our mother, yet we didn't turn to each other really for support. We all, we sort of separated and dealt with it in our own ways. So, um, you know, and also on, on top of that, you know, when, when you grow up in an abusive um, environment like that, that looks normal on the outside, it does also set you up to be vulnerable to other types of predators. 
it's almost like you're just sending out um, an unconscious message. And, you know, unfortunately, when I was in my early teens, you know, middle school age, a neighbor um, and his wife are were, you know, both predators. And I was um, sexually assaulted and used in child porn mm. at their home. And that just this these were trusted adults as well. And, you know, the grief was was not anywhere near the surface at all. It got shoved down so deep. Um, but my body did start start um, expressing it in the form of eating disorders. And I suffered with eating disorders for about eight years. Yeah, it's it's the the trauma that that compounded. Yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> exactly searching for words because there really aren't any, and yet the such extreme trauma that you describe. I'm sure so many other people can relate to it. So again, thank you for sharing this story because part of our mission is to help others to um, find help from similar situations. And so to have these awkward conversations have, yes. so that uh, people are not stigmatized and don't avoid having the conversation that may begin their healing journey. Um, yeah. The fact right. that uh, hearing, you know, that uh, you and your sisters couldn't talk about um, what was going on in the home uh, brings up for us the trauma that um, we couldn't talk about when our, our daughter died. Um, we mm. each needed to do our own work, and it was only after we did our own work uh, that we were able to come together to begin working together toward our mutual healing and um yeah, and then our, our son as well. We each had to go through our own grief journey, and mm. you know, we we often talk about there are many other situations and experiences of grief that we travel through in our lifetime besides the death of a loved one. You know, I used to think that that was it, and you you are reminding us what some of those are. And uh, I, I also experienced sexual abuse as a child and mm. it affected me sometimes it still affects me it's still now of course I, now i have the the tools and the resources to meet it so what were some of the things that you found helpful to help help process your grief after your cancer diagnosis um certainly you know i continued with alternative um more holistic types of healing um, I continued with acupuncture, did, you know, done a lot of work around the heart space. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I remember my acupuncturist jokingly saying, well, we're going to work on your little murky heart again today, you know, <laughs> and it was so true, you know, I mean, I just had a lot of, a lot of stuck energy and emotion there from so many layers of of trauma and grief. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, you know, started um, journaling more. And I also started, you know, having a cancer diagnosis that, you know, is doesn't have a great outcome prediction. There's a sacred edge to that, mm -hmm. where I remember when I was, um, uh, facing, you know, the surgery, which was like a nine hour surgery. And um, I remember thinking, if I don't survive this, what, what do I wish I had done differently? And looking back over my life, you know, the abuse and, you know, the counseling and all of that permeated my life. And I remember promising myself that I was going to live more. I was going to live bigger and I was going to follow my heart more. And that has really guided me to help process grief. Joy is the antidote, you know, and being able to even as you're crying to notice beauty around you, that your cat comes up and curls in your lap. 
that the sun hits your face a certain way through the window. Like just pausing for those moments of grace, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and recognizing them and being grateful. I, I would say those are some of the ways or opportunities that I started noticing to heal and talking about it. You know, Mm -hmm. one thing that I've noticed, because I did work in the national um, lung cancer community professionally for 15 years, no one talks about the grief related to a diagnosis, related to treatment, related to life after treatment, if there is one, not just for the patient, but for the family and the caregivers, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you find this as well um, in your community of folks who have lost a child. Like, it impacts everyone. And everyone is at risk, unfortunately, of having it set up in the body. Yeah, and acknowledging acknowledging it and uh, having an awareness that... um... We're not meant to be pressure cookers, and I've said this before, you know, to hold uh, all of that inside just allows that to manifest in our bodies in ways that are unhealthy and that lead to disease. Um, Having the conversation and, and, you know, what you said about compartmentalization, uh, that's what I tried at first, and I've spoken about that before. Uh, Put it in a little locked box, you know, in the back of my mental closet and didn't want to mm-hmm. open it up until um, until it got so loud and demanded my attention because if I didn't I would have gone off the rails and you know I'm a survivor of prostate cancer and uh, mm. that is a, a, another big one in terms of uh, how it uh, can wreak havoc and um, the health of your body and have the impact on the relationships that you know you you share and and you know you want to be open and I really appreciate you taking the time to delve so personally into your story because that is you know again what the, what we strive to do is to showcase uh, for people that it's not something to bury, but if we can talk mm. about it in a way that is healthy and uh, giving hope to people, then you know we f- feel like we've served our mission. Yeah, and boy, I'll say, I, I love your description of it being a sacred edge mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we're all living in the unknown, and the sacred edge is 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 where we meet the unknown. So. I, I really love that, that, that image and receiving grace and being able to hold pain and joy at the same time without diminishing mm-hmm. either. And that's, it's, it's our hearts that can, that can hold that. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the ways that you, that you meet grief in the body. Um, and I know that you, that, um, you have a, your yoga studio and you also did grief, the grief movement course with Paul Deniston, which I, I also did. Talk to us about the, the um, value of movement and helping, t- and helping grief move through our bodies. Sure. It's, it's key. I mean, if you think about the initial body response to grief, it tends to be um, very constricted, right? And we might feel like we've been punched in the stomach or that our heart is so heavy and we tend to curl in and um, breathe in a more shallow way. Um, Our heart rate tends to go up um, and, you know, we get um, stress hormones released through the body because the sympathetic nervous system is activated, the fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And so when talking about processing grief, what we want to do is the exact opposite 
of what the body does naturally to protect itself. Once we're not in that crisis state and are ready to start to um, move it a little bit, you know, we're going to want to change our posture. We're going to roll our shoulders back. We're going to take our our vision up um, and look around us, maybe start to notice and name several things that we can see to get grounded in the present moment. You know, the way that we breathe is movement. And there are breath practices that are very easy to do that literally are like a reset button for the, our nervous system. And it will, they'll move us from fight or flight if you're stuck in anxiety or insomnia. Um, these breath practices can move you into rest and digest. And these are the things that we're not necessarily taught as humans that like this body comes with some reset buttons and um, learning that through yoga training and using breath work and some of Paul's work as well. I, I just wish that there was a manual for like human being 101, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. We, we say that often that um, there's no course in how to deal with the grief that uh, comes into your life. But we've also noted that uh, animals uh, have a much better or instinctual um, method of resetting. Um, you know, they, they'll shake, bring up the, the pets because you, you mentioned before how, you know, um, a cat may come over when you're grieving and curling up in your lap you know mm. th there's an instinct there that they you know they want to comfort and be close to you but finding uh and mimicking maybe uh, some of the things that uh, animals do reminding ourselves that yes we are human animals yeah. and uh yeah of course there's there's the other thing people have um you know i can remember as a little kid paying uh, baseball and you know getting hit by a, uh, a wild pitch oh yeah just uh, walk it off shake that off and uh, you'll be fine uh, <laughs> so there's a uh, the two extremes there the uh, animal instinct and then the uh, things that we use to uh, make a bad situation better and wanting to walk it off or or make it better I, I love right. <laughs> I love how you uh, um, are talking about uh, uh, how we internalize grief and try to recover from either the burnout we feel or the overwhelm or the anxiety. And um, I, I think that was one of the things that um, struck me when I was reading your bio um, about being burned out and being a caregiver or being someone in you know the social work field how you need to have uh support and to pre either to prevent or to recover from being getting burned out and uh if there were one thing that you'd want to stress to support workers in dealing with their that sense of overwhelm what would what do you think they need? Um, I would say um, some sort of somatic practice mm -hmm. that um, activates the parasympathetic nervous system. <laughs> so that would look like to, to not keep either not moving physically, not breathing in a way that, um, that nourishes the body, but also to release the trauma out of their body, whether it's professional trauma. In a lot of cases, folks that are drawn to helping professions have their own personal trauma and it just gets layered like mine did, mm -hmm. right? And you cannot talk that out of your body. You know, talk therapy is awesome, supportive friends, writing. However, there is also a whole other 
area of somatic practices that literally move it out of your body, like Paul Dennison's grief movement and grief yoga work, TRE, which is literally triggering the the natural response of the body shaking mm-hmm. to, you know, because we do, like you said, it get that natural process of shaking that mammals do following mm-hmm. a crisis, um, that gets interrupted for, for humans, either by other people or ourselves telling us, mm-hmm. telling ourselves like, oh, it's fine. But the whole shake it off, actually, that's good advice. If we had actually the space to allow our bodies to shake, to complete the trauma response, then it doesn't get stuck. So TRE is um, another tool that is really, really helpful. I was just in a, a women's retreat over the weekend at the studio that was a somatic retreat. And, um, one of one of the many tools that was used was TRE, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly helpful. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it is. I I, I know when I um, took Paul Deniston's course, which was in April of 2020, so we were all learning how to be do things from the um, isolation of our own home, and it had been at that point 20 years since since Leah died, mm. and I was so surprised to see where grief was still living in in in, in my body I, I was I wasn't I, I knew it was there I, I guess it may be a better way to say it is I was surprised to find it where I found it and then I was I, I was so grateful that his work allowed me to move it out in really simple ways yes you know it's it's really um, yes really simple and it's 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 fun in some ways you know it's it's um that's one of the things that I found through my own journey is learning to have fun again um Mm -hmm. learning what fun is learning to feel again the way that I did um, when I was a child before the abuse happened and I really had to dig deep to find that yes did you have a similar experience Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the person that I was in my 20s was very type A, very, everything had to be a certain way, controlling, you know, of course, coming from eating disorders background, you know, you have to be very restrictive, right? And so I'm not like that at all anymore, because I've been able to um, trust myself and trust my body again, actually get back into my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's completely different. And to be able to find joy in the day to day, despite what's happening around me, despite what's um, happening in the larger world, you know, there's something that's um, really revolutionary about um, sort of owning our own joy and our own peace and it doesn't mean we don't care um it doesn't mean we don't we aren't aware but to stay sovereign and um you know protect our own neighborhood if you will Mm -hmm. um emotionally and and physically really is an act of revolution in my mind um to not get so swept up into um, into a very chaotic um, situation so that you can s- respond to life instead of reacting all the time. And that's your nervous system reacting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not doing anything wrong to constantly be being triggered. However, it is not healthy and there are ways to not have that be an automatic response. And yoga, breath work, um, you know, TRE, some of the other somatic uh, principles, if you will. There's so many more um, resources available now than there ever have been. And people are talking about it so much more mm-hmm. on social media, um, you know, just pe- it's becoming on the radio. more aware. <laughs> on the radio, yes. <laughs> yes, it's not this shameful thing. 
that you just discussed with a therapist, right? I mean, it's part of the human condition that loss happens. That's part of our lives. And what we do with it or don't do with it um, will impact the quality of our lives and the longevity that we have in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I've got uh, another question. I guess it's a little bit of a personal slant on it, but um, having gone in and having been diagnosed and basically immediately hospitalized, you really didn't have a chance or maybe maybe you felt something. Um, but what I'm thinking about is anticipatory grief. Um, mm. You know, and and especially, you know, the, the fear that we have about the health related issues and, you know, wanting to put off something so that you, you don't deal with it until it's too late. Now, you know, and I mentioned, you know, my prostate diagnosis and um, things, the survivorship and living in a, I don't, I don't know if it's the right way of describing it, but um, a, a disease state, you know, uh, or if you are living with something that is debilitating, you know, that chronic d disease state, the anticipa anticipation of, you know, what's going to happen next. And, sure. And what I'm hearing from, you know, if you put these practices in place, as early as possible uh, in in that range of you know like post in the healing journey in in your healing journey that's a good way of putting it you know then um you have the you're building that toolkit i guess is what yes. I, you know and that's the the important thing i'm hearing here and i think that we want to pass on to our listeners that um you know it's never <laughs> too late or never too early to begin to build in that uh, toolbox. And I love what you're saying about the somatic uh, practices that can help us to begin to address the things that we carry inside that, that need to be expressed. But sometimes because, you know, we're living in fear or we're living in shame or we're living in guilt, um, doesn't get expressed. And, uh, and, um, People say everything's fine, and I like to say that that is uh, acronym for feelings internalized, not expressed. And, Ooh, that's good. <laughs> and um, the benefit of having these kind of conversations hopefully will go out into the airwaves and into someone's heart uh, to help them in their uh, healing journey. We also mentioned yes. presence and oh, yeah. presence and being present on the sacred edge. <laughs> Just I'm, I'm sitting with with that um, with that image, with the feelings that it evokes. And when you're sitting in presence, you're not. I'm not. I'll speak for myself. I'm not marinating in the past. I, I, I'm, I'm able to be present and be here right now and be in my heart in the present moment. And that that's really what has got me through this time. And I hear you talking a lot about that as well, being present to what's here now rather than ruminating on what happened in the past or what may happen in the future if we don't change our ways. And when we're present, we have access to everything that's here for us in this in this moment. So, mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that presence piece into it because it's um, it's it's the present moment is all we have. Yeah, and and a lot of times it's easier said than done, particularly if you have a history of dissociating. You know, yes, because of of abuse. You yes. know, folks can be like, I don't even know what it means to be in my body. Exactly. You know it's a common cue in yoga to be like, you know, um, drop into the body. Like what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'll try to cue, feel the bottom of your feet, 
feel the part of your body that's making contact with the mat or the chair, um, just to be more mindful and removing some of that stuck energy through shaking, through diaphragmatic breath, etc., um, is is one part of it. And as you create more space in the body, to then also use guided imagery and meditation. There's so many free resources out there that can be really helpful. Um, I have a, a good friend who's um, was diagnosed a very short time ago, and she's in treatment right now. And acknowledging that life has changed, and your regular um, your regular routine is going to be disrupted for a while. Yeah. And um, acknowledging and telling yourself the truth and feeling the grief of that loss, because it is a loss. Yeah, it is a Who loss. you were before, mm-hmm. before the trauma, before the death, before the diagnosis is no longer, is no longer there. Right. You can reclaim parts of yourself. However, that life is no longer there. And that should be grieved and acknowledged Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a a great way to explain a little bit more of how grief is uh, grief is an active um experience. It's not something we do once. It's something we do something we meet every single time it it, it arises and every time it comes around, it, it's a little bit different. We mm-hmm. get we get a little different insight into it. So Yes, yes, lifelong. <laughs> lifelong, yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. We started our show around the premise of having difficult conversations and the importance of having them. We want to ask you, and we ask this of all of our guests, how do you approach a difficult conversation with someone? Um, by getting present with my own heart first and by um, seeing a positive outcome and you know sort of sending light to them (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and you know saying a little um intention that our highest good um you know be served through this conversation by being intentional Mm -hmm. and being present Mm -hmm. and um having compassion i i recently just had a difficult conversation with someone at the yoga studio and I don't shy away from them anymore. You know, that causes so much more stress. And there's opportunity in being real and being authentic to have a much richer connection with someone and a much richer life. This has been an incredibly rich conversation today. And this time, our time is always goes so fast. And we probably have many, many more things to discuss, uh, but perhaps we can have another another conversation um, another day. For now, though, right, welcome that. <laughs> we, we'd like you to share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you or where they can find you. Sure. Um, so I do have an online um, uh, platform for women um, who have received a cancer diagnosis at any point, um, and it's called We Are resilientsouls.com and um, if you're in the North Colorado um, area um, I do have a yoga studio called Resilient Soul Yoga and you can look that up as well Um, emails are attached to both of those websites great thank you so much we started today um, with the Michael Franti Brighter Day which spoke about not giving up and having hope with an open heart. Healing from the stress of the work that we do and recognizing that our bodies hold on to trauma, the connections that, um, and symptoms that we feel, the chronic fatigue, um, the fogginess of thought, the um, lack of coordination in in the encounters that we have um, that create awkward situations. We talked about the mind-body connection, Louise Hay, and healing modalities that incorporate our beliefs and how we work through 
the stress and trauma that um, we find in our lives. We're sometimes unable to process, uh, and it comes as a shock. But knowing that it, things are going to be all right, um, or when things don't seem to have um, uh, a bright horizon, but knowing that um, in our hearts that a brighter day is, is possible. The value of movement to dislodge the grief that we hold, um, releasing the tension that we hold, grounding ourselves to find the present moment. I love what you said uh, about you are more than your illness and that uh, thinking of our bodies uh, holistically and approaching whatever challenge you face and recognizing that the moments of grace and sacredness allows us to embrace and trust our bodies. It's a wonderful uh, conversation, and again, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both. And, you know, from my heart um, to yours, you have walked a path that is every parent's worst nightmare. And um, I honor both of you for um, being so willing to share that and to extend um, a hand and a heart to others who are are walking that path. Um, Thank you so much. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today's inspiration is a quote from Rosalind Carter. Do what you can to show you care about other people, and you will make our world a better place. You've been listening mm. to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy There it Dan. is. Thank you for listening. Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.